0: Generally, I love being one of the guests at a wedding. Uh, A few months ago, my sister got married. It was back in September. It was a great day, uh, filled with loads of family that I know well but don't get to see too often. Uh, And then the joy of the wedding itself, seeing my sister and her husband so happy together, it was great. Uh, At other times, though, it's not so great. Uh, I remember one time I was having lunch with some friends in a restaurant, uh, only it became clear that the whole rest of the restaurant was a wedding party. There was even a top table. We felt so out of place. We didn't know the couple. We weren't part of the celebration. Uh, We just wanted to eat up and get out. Or I remember another wedding, this time uh, one where we had at least been invited, um, but our daughter was just a few months old. And the timings of the day meant that she was awake or needing fed at all of the most inconvenient times. Plus, we were at that stage, you'll know uh, the stage, if your parents yourselves, where we had yet to learn how to travel light with babies. Uh, and so instead of the usual camera in your pocket at a wedding, which is a bit awkward, but basically manageable, uh, we instead had two rucksacks, a carry cot, and enough Milton to sterilise the entire reception venue. <laughs> and so although we were officially part of the wedding, uh, we had so much on our minds that we didn't enjoy it. Well, look, today is Easter, and it is a day of celebration for us as a church. The day when we delight in Jesus' victory, risen from the dead, alive forever, our rescuer and king. And it might be that uh, to you that just sounds great. That's exactly uh, what you want. But it might be that you feel a bit out of place, uh, like me in that restaurant that day. Perhaps you, uh, you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. And so talk of Jesus' resurrection, whilst perhaps interesting, is not yet something that you'd celebrate. Or maybe you are a Christian, but like that wedding with our daughter, things of late have just been very busy. You've been caught up with other things, your mind a whirl, life filled with busyness. So that celebrating Jesus is the last thing that's been on your mind. Or wherever you are. At the moment, let me say again that you are very welcome here this evening. And it is our hope that this celebration of Easter, Jesus raised from the dead, will be infectious. That we will, all of us, catch something of the wonder of what the resurrection tells us about Jesus, but also what the resurrection means for us today. And so as we start, I'm going to pray that God would help us in just that regard. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we remember your power and victory over death, we pray that you would show that same power in bringing new life to our hearts. Help us to understand your word to us in the Bible and through it change us so that we join in the celebration of Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, now, here's a question for you. Um, if you could change one aspect of your life, uh, give it a complete makeover, and then what would it be? What would you go for? Uh, perhaps which one of the, the makeover shows on TV would you like to take part in? Uh, perhaps you're thinking that you'd uh, go for a makeover of your looks, uh, your wardrobe. So you'd want to call on a Trinian Susanna and what not to wear. Or perhaps you're thinking it would be your health, your diet that you'd change. You might want to star on You Are What You Eat with Gillian McKeith. Or perhaps it's your home or your garden that needs the makeover. So it's to Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen or Alan Titchmarch that you would turn. Perhaps you want to move home completely. It's a new house that you're after, and so you'd be in touch with Kirsty Allsop and Phil Spencer on Relocation, Relocation. There are so many options, aren't there? So many programs like that on TV that it shows how much of a makeover mentality that we have. Our culture tells us that we can change who we are quite simply by changing the externals of our lives if we just lose a few pounds. Or if we just add uh, the latest fashion, a lick of paint or a loft conversion, uh, then all will be well. Of course, when you put it so bluntly, few of us would get taken in. We know in our heads that that sort of MDF change can't deliver. It can't be what life is about. But then, what is life about? Where can lasting change be found? Well, that last reading from Romans chapter 6 offers us an answer. It gives us the offer of new life. New life that comes not through a TV makeover, but rather that comes through Jesus. Let me read verse 4 to you again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you want real change... If you want a new life, then come to Jesus. Uh, It's Easter, uh, we're thinking about the resurrection, and on the one hand, those events on that first Easter morning tell us something amazing about Jesus. The empty tomb, his appearances for his friends, uh, showing that he'd broken the power of death, that he is indeed the Son of God, all authority in heaven and on earth, now his. Jesus, who died on the cross for us, is now alive again forever. Death defeated, sin done away with. And yet here in Romans 6, we are invited not just to be spectators on those miraculous events, not just hearing from those who were witnesses of the risen Jesus. No, instead, we are invited to take part in it, to join Jesus In his death and resurrection. See verse 4 again? Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. United with Jesus. His resurrection, meaning our new life. That's real change. And yet, why change? Perhaps that's what you're thinking. Why should I come to Jesus for new life when I'm happy with this life? Well, The answer comes in verse 6. And it's this. uh, However happy we are at the moment, whatever impression we have of our lives, the reality is that without God, we are slaves. Slaves to sin. That's how it describes us. Now, the heart of sin is rejecting God, not wanting to recognize him, but instead to call the shots ourselves at pretending he's not there. When it describes us as slaves to sin, it's not saying that we're forced against our will to go against God and his word. No, we do what we want, but it's saying that what we want is to persistently defy the God who made us, to write him out of our lives and our decisions. The slavery is that we're unable to do anything else. It's as though it's hardwired into us to go against God. And look around. We live in a world that suffers the consequences. Consequences of our selfish hearts. A world which, whatever the technological progress we seem to make, shows no improvement in who we are. We live in an age that has seen more than 80 million people killed in wars, that has polluted its environment, that starves two-thirds of its population whilst the remainder become obese. Or on a personal level, which of us has not wondered at our incapacity to live up to our own standards, still less the standards of the God who is truly there? After all, we all have a sense of what we ought to do, don't we? If you're like me, then you certainly have a sense of what you think others ought to do. And yet, try as we may, we can't do it. It's not just that we don't do it, it's that when we try, we still can't. Because we're slaves. Slaves to sin. I know most of the time, most of us just get on with life, ignoring the fact, uh, suppressing the truth, because it's more comforting. Better to think that we're basically good people than to face the fact that we can't be good even when we try. But the reality of the problem doesn't go away just because we deny it, does it? It's partly why reading Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is often an uncomfortable experience. His words are like x-rays that see through to and expose our hearts. Without Jesus, you and I are slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to our own moral rebellion. Whether actively hostile or passively indifferent, we don't want God to have any real say in our lives. We are mastered by sin. And if that still doesn't strike us as a problem, then see verse 9 here. Because we also have another master... As a result, death. Without Jesus, death has mastery over us, over us too. Uh, the author Tolstoy spent much of his life in a search for meaning. And in human terms, he was very successful. Fabulously wealthy. Publicly renowned, not least uh, for writing War and Peace. And yet at one stage he wrote this. What meaning has my life? That the inevitability of death does not destroy. Death, though it stands at the end of life, casts its shadow backwards to plunge everything we do in a gloom of insignificance. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible makes the same point. I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Death then, it leaves us without meaning, without hope, without life. And our sin leaves us facing death. Uh, Romans 6, verse 23, just after our passage, says this, The wages of sin is death. Death is what we have earned. And death in this life is but a shadow of the judgment of God that lies beyond. When we die, we will face him. And Jesus was crystal clear that that means we face the second death of hell. Separated from God, And from every good thing forever. Why change? Because in life we are slaves to sin and we are mastered by death. And yet we're slaves. And so we can't change ourselves any more than a slave can free himself. So, how is change possible? By coming to Jesus. Actually here, by joining him in his death and resurrection. Verse 5 again. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I wonder if you've noticed the trend recently for these, um, I don't know what you call them, sort of experience gifts, uh, where for someone's birthday you can buy them a trip, hot air ballooning or a spa day, or driving a racing car. Have you seen the sort of thing? Well, one of them is skydiving. Now, I don't know what your reaction would be if someone bought that for you. I suspect that my reaction would be mixed. <laughs> um, on the one hand, it's something that I would love to have done. Um, <laughs> And even when doing it, I think that that sort of gentle floating through the air phase with the parachute successfully unfurled above me would be quite pleasant. However, I'm not too sure about landing at the bottom and I'm particularly not too sure about the bit where it's me standing before the open door of an airplane at 20,000 feet. I think that I would find myself dithering. I understand, though, I hope I never find out for sure, but I understand that with first-timers, what they often do is get an instructor to come and dive with you, and they actually attach the two of you together, presumably with something that can be released before uh, he or she pulls the parachute cord. But either way, now that you are linked, uh, united together, when he or she jumps, you are going out that door, Uh, but also you know that they're going to get you down safely, or that's the theory. Well, look here, God is saying to us that as we stand at the door of life and death, we should be nervous, we are slaves to sin and face God's judgment, but we can link ourselves to Jesus. We can be united with him so that we join in his death and resurrection. He can take us through and into safety. See verse 3 again. How does it work? Verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Here, Paul, the writer, he's using baptism as a shorthand for conversion, for becoming a Christian. Back then, of course, as soon as people became Christians, they got baptised. So the two were often seen as one. So he's saying that if we trust Jesus, if we're ready to follow Jesus, then it's as though we die with him. The death that we face, judgment from God, He's gone through it for us. We benefit from his death because, because we're united with him. I'm uh, 32 now, and so I've had to come to terms with the fact that I will now never play football for England. Uh, not that it was ever on the cards. Uh, but hey, I can still get excited uh, when it comes to the World Cup uh, because we have a squad of people who are like me, They're English, uh, who are significantly better than me. They can at least play football, which I understand is an advantage. And so they represent me. Well, all of us if we're English. Uh, So that when they win, if they do, we can say, hey, we won. Their victory is ours. That's the way it works. So too with Jesus. If we're united to him if we're trusting him, if we're saying he is our representative, then we gain the benefits of his death and resurrection. You see, we gain the benefits of his death because it means that now when he died, he was taking the death that our sins deserved. He was freeing me. So that verse 6 we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. I gain the benefits of his death, but also I gain the benefits of his resurrection. Jesus' is new and eternal life. It goes on, verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to be a Christian is to have eternal life as Jesus does. Life beyond death, life with Jesus, no longer thwarted by the mastery of death. And so it's a life full of meaning and purpose and hope and joy where we are alive to God, knowing his presence with us, knowing his provision for us, knowing that our future is with him. Why change? Because we're slaves to sin and death. How can we change? By trusting Jesus so that we're united with him, united to his death and resurrection, benefiting from his victory over sin and death. He dies our death for us. He takes our sin on himself. And as he rises, it is into a new life that we can share. That's why we celebrate. Because change and new life are available through Jesus. And so finally, let me say a word to those of us who are already Christians here this evening, who know that we are trusting Jesus' death and resurrection for ourselves. The challenge to us is that we must change. See verse 12? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Back in Paul's day, the the message of the cross and resurrection was hard for people to take in. It was so ingrained in them that the way to change was for them to try harder that the way to get right with God was for them to try to be good. It's the same mistake that people make today, again and again. And so when instead they were told, no, 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 the, the Christian faith is this, that we need to trust Jesus. Well, some said, in that case, if trying to be good doesn't do it, uh, we may as well carry on being bad. Keep on sinning. But of course that can't be right. Jesus has freed us from slavery to sin. Why would we act as as though it were still our master? Jesus has brought us into new life with God. Why live as though we were still headed for eternal death? Now instead we are daily to consider our old selves our old way of life as dead, done away with. And instead, we are to live out our new life with every day, every hour, every talent, every resource, every limb as a tool for God's use. As it says there, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. If you are a Christian here tonight, then you must live out your own death and resurrection. As we rely on Jesus, so we are united with him, so that we move out of slavery to sin and instead offer ourselves to a new master, to the God who loves us and sent his son to die and rise for us so that we can enjoy eternal life. And if you're not yet a Christian here today, then can I urge you not to miss out on this offer. This offer of change and new life. At the door on the way out, I'll have some copies of this booklet. It's called The Real Easter. I'd love to let you have one. They're free, we've got loads. It explains a bit more about what Easter means for us today. And it also explains how you can start out on this new life with Jesus. If you just say to me, can I have one of those? Then I'll put one into your hands.